All right. Well, again, welcome and uh, glad you're able to be here this morning. I know we got a little bit of snow, uh, but uh, glad you're able to make it in. Um, we are in, uh, I think this is week four. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. I uh, All week, I kept saving my PowerPoint as week three. And it was like, you want to replace your old one? I'm like, this, this is the third week. Uh, I, I don't understand. I didn't make a PowerPoint already, but apparently I did. So that, that there we go. This is week four, but I think the reason why I did that is because we've actually been in the same passage, Ephesians chapter one, three through 14, for three weeks. This is our third week in it. So uh, if you've been coming for these last three weeks, this might be a little familiar and these verses, but I, I, I don't normally do as much of recap, especially for just a couple of verses, but uh, it kind of makes sense you know, that we spent, now this will be our third week in this in the order. Uh, now that we're done with it, I probably would have switched the order around. I would have started, the, today's service probably should have been three weeks ago or two weeks, you know what I'm saying, two, whatever, the first one. And uh, anyways, but two weeks ago, um, Paul uh, looked at, uh, our identity in Christ, who we are. Uh, again, the same same passage, but there's just so much there. There's so much to unpack. We could probably we could probably do another two or three weeks uh, on different aspects of this passage because there's so much going on. Um, but uh, Paul looked at our identity in Christ. Like, what what is our identity? Uh, what's my purpose in life? Uh, what defines me? Uh, that if I were to fill in that blank with something, what would it be? Is, is it my my family? Am I my job? Am I my my accolades, my trophies, whatever, fill in the blank. Am I my shame? Am I my guilt? Am I my sin? Uh, can be those things as well. Um, and so he looked at our, our union with Christ, uh, that our identity is in Christ, that I am my saviors, and then looking at that I am also my heavenly fathers, uh, that we have been given a new family, we've been given a new name, we've been given a new identity and a new life, that we've gone from death to life, and uh, looked at that. Then last week, uh, I looked at the idea of counting our blessings, that we, we see that, hey, if my identity is in Christ now, that's great, uh, but what happens when I am now in Christ is I receive these blessings from God. And I, we talked, you know, singing through, you know, we didn't, I sang it a little bit, right? But count your blessings instead of sheep. I looked at this new, new movie in Canto. Did anyone go out and watch the movie last week after I mentioned it? Just curious. No, nobody did. All right. Uh, oh, oh. Vicky did. Thank you. They watch. Yeah, we watch it every day too. It's just on. You know what I mean? Like constantly. Um, anyways, it's. Uh, anyways, so the idea. Uh, Lin Manuel. He he did uh, Hamilton and and uh, Moana too. Um, but he he wrote he wrote the music for this. And and again, you don't need to know the context or anything like that. But you can see on the side there the the woman who's lifting up the donkey. Um, uh, her name's Louisa. She's obviously strong. Has this kind of superpower to be really strong. Uh, but then she she kind of sings this this solo where she says, "Who am I if I don't have what it takes? No cracks, no breaks, no mistakes, no pressure." And and there's there's a lot. I think every human being who hears that kind of kind of empathize with Louisa. Like I I can't show vulnerability. I can't show weakness. I can't show my cracks and my flaws and my breaks and my mistakes. That I I got to show that I'm not under pressure. Uh, and what we see is that when we're in Christ, it's the opposite of that, that we get to say, no, I am broken. We are all broken. We are all messed up. And we can get, we boldly get to go to the throne of grace to ask for help in a time of need. Um, so this week, though, this week, we're going to be looking at specifically to the praise of his glory. And, I, and we're going to focus in 
on God the Father. And so that's why I wish I would have done this one first because our, my identity, the blessings that I have all come from God. And so it would have made more sense to do that. But here we are uh, at the end looking at the first thing that's mentioned. And the apostle Paul uses this, uses this phrase, uh, I think three times in this passage to the praise of his glory. And it's the only time that Paul uses that, that kind of language. Um, and so it's just, it just really interesting to, to focus, focus in on, on God. Uh, I always find it interesting. Uh, I don't watch the, like the Academy Awards or the Golden Globes or anything like that. I don't, I could care less, but I do like movies. I like watching shows and that kind of thing. But, um, I, this, this, even just this morning, I Googled, you can't see it, but I Googled like the top gross, highest grossing movies of all time, not adjusted by inflation because Gone with the Wind would be up there, I think. Um, which I've never, never seen it. Uh, but, uh, Avengers 4, which is, uh, Endgame, I think is, is the highest grossing movie, but I don't know if that's true anymore. Avatar since was released in China and got a bigger bump up. So that technically is the most, but then I recently heard that Spider-Man, uh, the newest Spider-Man one is now the highest grossing movie ever. Uh, oh, sixth. Oh, peanuts. All right. Um, obviously got Titanic, Star Wars, episode seven, which is what? What's episode seven? Rise of Skywalker. Uh, Avengers 3, Jurassic World. Uh, the other Avengers, Fast and Furious 7. Um, Avengers, another Avengers, Black Panther. So a lot of, a lot of superhero movies, uh, which is fine, right? But what's interesting about these movies, right? So when, when somebody, right, for Endgame, when they're like, when they're gonna get an award for best picture or who, who was the lead actor in Avengers? Yeah, all of them, right? I mean, that's the whole point of it. Maybe there's, you know, Iron Man or, or Captain America that has more lines, or but who's it really about? It's, it's about the collective, right? And so when they say, hey, you're going to get this award for, I don't know if they won awards for like best picture or anything like that, or best leading actor or something, uh, but do they give an award like highest grossing film ever? Like, I don't know if they get an award for that other than just a fat bonus would be my guess. Um, but when that happens, and if they were to go up there, a lot of them would go up, right? They're, it's it's a it's a team it's a team game if you will, right? But but it made me think though like are, is there a movie where it's still like it's like one one person? Um, and the answer is yes. And I and I actually knew this uh, Rocky Balboa. If you don't know this, Sylvester Stallone wrote it, directed it, produced it, and was the lead actor in it, right? And it won a bunch of awards. It won Best Motion Picture. This was in uh, what was it seventy seven? I think I don't know. Is that too, that seems too far away. Is that too long ago? 77, that's right. Uh, best director, right? So he wins best director of his own movie that he writes um, and best motion picture of the year in the, in the category for drama, uh, which I guess, it's, I don't know, is it action, drama? I guess it's drama technically, right? And so, and so my point for all of saying all of that is that when we look at God today in Ephesians is he's the lead, he's the lead person of this. But he's not just the lead actor in the story and the lead person that's doing the actions, which we're gonna see the actions that he does this morning, that he is the writer, he's the producer, he's doing everything. He's getting all the awards and he's getting all the glory and the praise. It's, there's no shared experience here other than with himself, with being spirit and son of the Trinity, which is also very present in this passage. Uh, there's not a lot of passages that name Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, there are several of them, but this is one of them that clearly highlights and demonstrates uh, the Trinity uh, of God. So for the last time, uh, I'm gonna read through Ephesians 1, three through 14. 
Uh, and I'm just going to read through it again like I normally have been, and then we will uh, jump into uh, more of the details of this passage. So starting in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Uh, we've been mentioning this the last couple of weeks, but uh, that is all one sentence uh, in the Greek. There's no breaks, there's no pauses. Uh, it's all one giant long sentence. And so uh, I was able to do a little research this week. And so if you remember this, this is called diagramming, right? Every junior in high school's worst nightmare uh, that you had to diagram sentences, right? Did everyone have to do this? I know I sure did. Oh, just the older millennials had to do it, huh? They were like, they're like English. Who needs to know what English is? Who cares? You don't need to do this. All right, well, this is a visual way uh, to be a better talker. Uh, and writer. And so what it is, is you have, you guys were taught like subject and verb and prepositional phrases. Okay. All right. Just make, just check it. You know, you never know. You never know. Uh, and so again, I know it's kind of hard to see, but the sentence that they're using here is on the second try, he walked over it. So you have the subject as he, and that kind of dangling uh, phrase there on the second try, and then the verb walked and then over it, right? The other adjective and the object of the preposition. And so you used, to, you used to have to do this. So you, you, your teacher would give you like eight sentences, longer sentences, compound sentences, and all these different, you can diagram the whole thing. And it all had to be in the right place. And you had, you know, the line you would, it, anyways, it's very complex. Well, wouldn't you know it, there are a lot of nerds out there that did that with this passage. Um, and so they took all of the words, um, and, it's, and you can't see it, but it's actually in Greek as well, where... Uh, uh, they, they diagram the whole thing and it all fits in. This modifies this and this is linked to that. And, it, and it's actually kind of cool when, you, when we understand what's going on. And I know you can't see it because it's way too small, but the very tippy top of that is obviously the, the passage, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. But the highest thing on there is the subject, which is God. And it's split, you can't see it, but that kind of little shape, weird, weird little shape up there is because it's, it's a conjunction. So it's God and Father, right? So it's this whole thing, everything that we see is all tied in to God. Clearly, he is the subject. He's the one doing the actions as we're gonna see. And so this phrase again, praise be to God. And it's all tied up in our identity. And this past week, um, Sarah Mischke emailed me and um, and uh, sent this little letter, just some thoughts that she was having. 
um, about uh, this passage in particular. And I was like, man, it's, it, it ties in perfectly to where we're going, focusing on God and focusing on the Father um, as uh, helping us and declaring who we are and, and finding our identity in him. And so let me just gonna read this. I got permission to do this, by the way. Um, uh, that, uh, anyways, let me just read it. Who gets to define identity? Our small group was talking about Ephesians last night and who does God say he is and who does God say we are in the first chapter. We listened to a lot of things, but I was thinking this morning that uh, the important thing is who said them. Why does God get to define our identity? What are the reasons someone gets to say definitely uh, uh, what something is and isn't? First, there's the love of the beholder. The child, uh, com- the child's completely unrecognizable art on the fridge is beautiful to the parent who loves them. And even though it might not be to anyone else, right? You go into my house, you're gonna see some, I don't even know what it is, right? But it's, it's beautiful because my kid did it, right? And you can't tell me it's not. There's possession. It's the child's teddy bear and precious, and, and precious simply because it's theirs. They get to name it just as we have the right to name our pets. There's authorship. The painter names his painting, uh, and the author is the definitive authority on the symbolism in their work. There's a story, I forget what, what author, what, um, it was a movie or a book or something, and there was, he was at a coffee shop, and some, there was a, two young ladies that were having an argument about a movie or a book that this guy was the author of. Like, it, it wasn't, it was something like Harry Potter, but I know that was, or J.R. Tolkien, but don't know, what, what, what? J.K. Rowling, J.K. Tolkien. I don't know who that is. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, do you know why, how did Harry Potter get down the hill? He fell. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> all right, all right. Anyways, here's what happened. These two people were having an argument and the, and the, and the person, the man that wrote the book or the letter, uh, he says, hey, I can give you some, some clarity on what you're arguing about. And they were like, don't mansplain me. And he was like, I'm, I'm actually the authority on this. And he like, I, I wrote it, right? <laughs> All right, there's authority, either, either uh, personal, uh, sorry, positional or the ability or experience. The head of a museum has the power to say that something is historical because their position, the greatest painter of all time is probably a pretty good authority on what art is good. And God who loves us more than anyone, anyone else who has bought us with his blood of his son, who made us, who is the sovereign king over all creation and who is himself, not just the source of all that is good, wise, just, faithful power, et cetera, et cetera, but is in himself the infinite perfection of those things that he is. He calls us his vessels, his sheep, his beloved, his body, his children, his temple, his priesthood, holy and blameless, chosen, forgiven, redeemed, precious, and so many other things. I think he has a pretty good claim to say so. And that's what today, when we look at this passage in depth, is going to do exactly what what Sarah had, had written, that we're going to look at this God and does he have that authority? Is he worthy of praise? And the answer is yes. I'm not going to, you know, hold you in suspense. Um, but why? And, I, and so that's what we're going to be we're going to be looking at. So what's what's interesting is I just mentioned that God is the main subject of every verb in this passage. That as you you know do that uh, the diagramming out and you look at it, everything goes back to God, God and Father. And so I want to just kind of go through the main verbs of a passage. And if you're you're new to the Bible and you're like, I don't really know, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't really know how to read this. It's just kind of confusing. Uh, look for repeat words. We're going to see blessed a lot and, and in Christ a lot in this passage. 
But look for the main verbs, the actions, and then figure out who's doing those actions. And that will help you, uh, really, uh, really help you with, with interpreting the passage. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at uh, six or seven of these, these verbs in this passage and uh, just take a break and, and look at them and examine them. So the first one that we see, uh, it says, praise be to God, bless be to God, praise be to God. He is blessed in every way, uh, but he has blessed us. So he's the one doing the action. He's always the one doing the action in this passage, that he has blessed us. And as we read in that passage, in every way, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time breaking this down because that was the whole entire sermon last week, uh, that he has blessed us in every way. And this isn't just a spiritual thing. It says he has blessed us in the, in, uh, in the spiritual, uh, in the heavenlies uh, with spiritual blessings, but it doesn't mean it's just some ethereal, just spiritual thing. Uh, and so we looked at that a little bit more in depth that it's both physical and spiritual thing, but it stems from the heavenlies. And we see that that's for sure the Holy Spirit. So it's not just spiritual. He's blessed us with adoption. He's blessed us with the Holy Spirit. Um, and we, we can see that he is the one doing the action. And all we do is receive him doing those good things. The second one, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. I, I wasn't planning on it, um, but it's in the passage. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit more in depth. Um, verse four, the action is that he chose us. And specifically, he chose us before creation. He chose us before the foundations of the world were made, right? Before any of us ever did anything, good or bad, he chose. All right, so I wanna, I wanna focus in on that a little bit. And, and, the, and the first thing is, um, this is in the Bible, and, and, and hopefully what I'm about to say will, will make this a, a, actually, here's what it should do. It should make us rejoice and it should make us praise God for who he is and the grace that he's shown us. Um, not make us angry or bitter or, uh, or boastful or proud. It should humble us as we're gonna, we're gonna look at. Um, but in order to ignore the theology and the doctrine of, of predestination or choosing, uh, we're not going to get into Calvinism or anything like that, but this is in the Bible. Uh, in order to get around it, you've got to do some massive linguistic gymnastics to, to try to ignore the fact that God chose us before the foundation of the world. Uh, I grew up in churches that, that, that did everything they could to ignore these passages um, Calvinism, I actually thought it was like a, like a bad word uh, growing up. Like you, you don't talk about Calvin. You don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about Calvin. All right. Uh, and so, but I remember I, I went to a Christian school, Schaumburg Christian School in Schaumburg, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. And I remember uh, our principal at the time, he was um, uh, confined to a, an electric wheelchair, but he was a uh, he would, he would do a lot of the preaching. We had chapel every day, um, which, you know, sounds weird for high school, but that's, that's what we did. Um, and, and, but he, he, would, he was a pacer, you know, as he would preach, you know, he, he was always moving around. And I used to be that way until I started preaching at Hope and, and, and I was on camera. And they were like, dude, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta plant it. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, okay. Can't move around so much. But uh, he would move around. So then he got sick and he was confined to a wheelchair for a while. But even in his wheelchair, he would be, it was an electric one. He would just be going back and forth on the stage in his wheelchair. And, but I, I remember this very vividly uh, because what uh, people on the, on the opposite side to say, no, 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 it's all up to me. It's my decision. It's my choosing um, that the way that they, and, and only that, right? Whosoever wills, God so loved the world. Hello. Yeah, you're right. He did. He does. Uh, and so, but they would emphasize like my free will, the way that they love going is to, is to, um, 
uh, Romans chapter 8, 29 and 30. Um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but they love this word called foreknowledge. Uh, and they would say uh, that, that these, uh, these individuals that he chose, but these he foreknew, and those he foreknew, he predestined, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorifies. Right, so this word foreknowledge, and I remember very distinctly my, my principal as he was preaching, talking on this passage, and I don't know if it was like a question somebody asked and he, he felt the need to, to address it, but he talked about foreknowledge. And he said, this is what foreknowledge is. Knowledge, it means know before, that God knew something before we did. And so this is what the analogy said. So God, in eternity past, looked down the corridor of time, right? He, he's looking down into the future and he can see you and you and you making a decision to follow after Jesus. And that's how he chose. He chose us because we chose him. That's bad. Uh, that's a really bad way to think about that. And here's why. Uh, simply, the main thing is, you're telling me that at some point in eternity past, God didn't know something. And he had to learn something about me by something I did rather than something he already knew, right? He is already the one. He sees into the future, but it's already, there's no future. He knew before us because he chose us before us, not based on anything that I did, all only because of his, his grace. And this is confusing. I get that. I understand it's not a, um, it's not a super easy topic and we're not gonna solve it here, but I don't think there's anything to solve. I really don't. I, I don't know why people get so heated on either side of this uh, equation because I don't think there is an either side of the equation because we can see both of them in scripture. But what I do know, what happens, and maybe some of you are thinking this as well, and what happens when we get into, into this idea of choosing and predestination is a lot of us, and I think it's a very natural thing to think and to ask, is to say, well, what about all the people he didn't choose, right? And we get angry that God just didn't choose everybody or choose my friend or my neighbor or my loved one. And we get upset. But again, we don't know who he chose. I can only speak for myself. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and so I want to share the gospel with everybody. Um, but what happens though is we get upset when God doesn't choose let me illustrate it this way. This past week, I um, was on Facebook. Again, sell your stock. Um, and uh, I'm just kidding. I don't know what I think about that stuff. Uh, but uh, I was, on, I was on, the, on the Facebook and um, I forget who the pastor was, but a, a church planter friend of mine. And he was like, I was at this coffee shop this past week and there was a family that was on Zoom with a judge and they were adopting a couple kids. And so when, when the adoption was made official, and I know you're in a coffee shop, it was very public. I don't know why they went to a coffee shop to do this, uh, but they went to this public place where everyone in earshot could hear what was happening. And so as soon as it's official, he said the whole coffee shop just erupts in joy and right, like this is awesome, right? These children now have parents and these parents now have these children that they have chosen that they are going to love. Now imagine in that moment of, of joy and celebration, if the barista was like, how come you didn't adopt everybody? You jerk. You know what I mean? Like, whoa, pump the bread. No, I, I'm showing love to them. Now, I'm going to talk about that a little bit. How come he didn't just choose everybody? I, I don't know why God didn't just choose everybody. We could have arguments about that. The point is that he did choose some and he did not have to. <laughs> That's the point. And that's grace. Can I wrap my head around it? Nope. So let me talk about this. And I know I've shared this before, but I'm gonna do it again because I think this is very helpful. This is called the double slit experiment. Did anyone ever do this in high school or college? One engineer, makes sense. Two engineers, makes sense. 
Um, all right, it's called the double slit experiment. And I've shared this before, and I've had actual scientists and engineer after I shared it say, this checks out. I like that analogy. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to use it again. I'm glad, glad it got approved by an actual scientist because I am not a scientist, not a doctor. Um, all right, so the idea is this, that light uh, can be measured in both wavelengths and particles, matter. And that shouldn't happen. Scientifically speaking, that something is either a wave or matter not both. And so this uh, experiment, it's called a two double slip. You have one uh, thing of light going out and there's two little holes there. But as the light goes all the way to the back, you'd think you should just have two little slits of where the light is, but instead you get this light pattern uh, that happens in areas where it shouldn't, the light shouldn't be there, right? But it's happening because again, as you can see, the particles are bouncing around and hitting different things. I, I'm probably totally butchering this analogy, but here's the point. Here's my point of this, that a scientist could passionately get up here and teach all of you how uh, light in our, in our universe is made of wavelengths. And I could have a different scientist prove to you that light is also made of particles. And those two things don't make sense. They're an uh, antinomy. They are not in harmony. They're an antimony. They're, they're, they don't like each other, but it's true. And I can look at my Bible and I can prove to you, God has foreordained and chose me before the foundation of the world, before anything I did. And I can also prove that he loves the entire world and that I need to put my faith in him and I need to believe that I can prove. It's an, it's, it's an antinomy. It's both and. So we don't need to be choosing sides. Did God choose me? Yes. Did I choose him? Yes. Four and a half years ago when we started the the church, it was was the October 31st, kind of right around there, uh, which was the 500th anniversary from when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg. And I went through Tulip. Maybe not the greatest way to start a new church is to preach through Tulip, but that's what we did. Um, but this was the illustration that we gave uh, when it came to God choosing us when, with this. An illustration that I gave was uh, that there's this mansion. And every single day you walk by this mansion, you see that, and this is a real, obviously a real mansion, but they give free tours. I just did mansions with free tours. Uh, this, was, this was, I don't know what building this is. I don't know where it is. But if you wanted to tour this building for free, you could. All right. Now, here's the, here's the point of this analogy. Every day you walk by this mansion on your way to work, every single day, free tours, free tours, to open 24-7, free tours, right? And finally, one day you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm just gonna just go take the tour. I'm just gonna get this over with, right? And you, and you walk in, you decide on this day, at this moment, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna walk in and I'm gonna, walk, I'm gonna take the tour and you walk in and you see all these plaques on the wall and you look at one, one catches your eye and you see your name with the exact date and time of when you were gonna enter that building for a free tour. That's how this works, okay? It doesn't work, that doesn't make any sense, but I can prove it and that's okay. And that's why I like the light analogies because while there's nothing in our universe that doesn't make sense, yeah, there is. There's a lot of it. And to try to, to try to fit this into a little box, to try to uh, give a, a quip, uh, a meme, to explain away how difficult this is, I, is just foolish. Um, one of the commentaries that I've been reading through Ephesians is by John Stott. Um, he, he says this, I, I really appreciate how he says this. He says, now, everybody finds the doctrine of ele- election difficult. Didn't I choose God? Somebody asked indignantly. I don't know why they're indignant. Didn't I, didn't I choose God? Uh, Somebody asked indignantly, to which we must answer very calmly, yes, indeed you did. 
Uh, yes, indeed you did and freely, but only because in eternity, God has chosen you, first chosen you. Well, didn't I decide for Christ as somebody else uh, to which we must reply, yes, indeed you did and freely, but only because in eternity, God has first decided for you. Scripture nowhere dispels the mystery of election and we should be aware of any who try to systematize it too precisely or rigidly. It is not likely that we shall discover a simple solution to a problem which has baffled the best brains of Christendom for centuries. Uh, this is, it's something that when I was in seminary and when, when I was really in the throes of like studying theology, this is what seminarians and young pastors, it's all they wanna talk about. Hey, what's, what's your view on the doctrine of election? Right, and I'm, I'm gonna be asked that. Like, you mean the doctrines of grace? I remember, I, oh, you mean the doctrine of grace? And they're like, oh, I've heard about people like you. And it's like, all right, all right. And here's, here's how you dispel any of that, right? This is, how, this is how you do that. Because I don't care what position you're at, personally. If you lean left or right on, on this topic, uh, as far as, nope, it's my choice, or nope, I've been chosen. Uh, I say, let, let's get in the middle and say yes. Um, and and, and that's, not, that's not like a passive, like, no, you gotta choose a, you gotta choose a side. No, I, I, don't, I think that we see in scripture, we don't. But when somebody does come up to me, that's a little indignant <laughs> on either side. You know what I get to do is I say, you know what? Let's talk about something that's gonna be a little more edifying. Let's talk about Jesus, <laughs> right? Let's, let's talk about something we can agree on and how much Jesus loves me and let's build each other up, All right? That we can do. Uh, and so anyways, I, that, that, that's one thing. Now, uh, Stott goes on the very next sentence after that. He says this, but here at least in our text are three important truths to grasp Remember, remember, and I'm just going to go through uh, these just real, just quickly here. The doctrine of election is a divine revelation and not a human speculation. Uh, this idea of God choosing uh, certain people, not based on any works that they've done, good or bad, uh, is is revealed in Scripture. Uh, this wasn't added later on. This wasn't oh, we read it this way now because John Calvin uh, wrote this in his in his Institute book. No, it's not that. It's not because Augustine talked about it uh, early on in the 300s, um, that this is, this is from the Bible. They're getting this from, from Scripture. Um, and so to think, oh, that was just added later on. I think TULIP, we could argue, was added later on because that's not in the Bible, per se, as far as the, the acronym. Um, but anyways, this is, this is a doctrine that comes from, from Scripture. Uh, two, the doctrine of election is an incentive to holiness, not an excuse for sin. This isn't, oh, I've been saved, I've been called, I've been elected, therefore I can do whatever I want. The apostle Paul clearly says that's not the case. Right, so should we just continue living in sin and do what we want so that we can be the, the recipients of even more grace? No, God forbid, it may never be said of you that way. This should say, no, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I wanna live like I'm a follower of Jesus. It's not an incentive to holiness, or, sorry, excuse me, it is an incentive, incentive to holiness, not an excuse for sin. And then the final point here, the doctrine of election is a stimulus to humility, not a ground for boasting. That if once we truly understand this, this doctrine, you can't look down on any other human being, any human being. Oh, I would never do that. Oh, woe was you. God, aren't you thankful for me and how good I am? Uh, I know I, I grew up that way, very Pharisaical. We see that a lot in the in the Bible of these religious leaders uh, called the Pharisees. In the Jesus Storybook Bible that I read to my boys, they call them super duper. They're super duper uh, religious people, I think, something like that. Anyways, but uh, did they just we think they got it all figured out? 
and I'm better than you. I study this. I, I'm a full-time Christian. I get paid to be a Christian, right? I'm better than you. No, I'm not. Um, this should just, this should humble us that I don't get to say, hey, I, I've been chosen, uh, so God loves me more. It, it, man, it, it's, that's, it should, this should humble us. And again, why didn't God just choose everyone? I don't know. I don't know. And, and, I, and my brain still struggles with that. But what this passage should do is again, not lead it. How come God, how come you didn't adopt everybody? What it should do is go, God, thank you for adopting some because we don't deserve that either. And it should result then in praise to his glorious name. All right, moving on here. It says he destined us to be his sons in verse five. Again, he, he's the one doing the actions. He's blessed us, he chose us, and he's destined us to be his sons. And this is another one of those passages where the apostle Paul uh, uses in other passages, sons and daughters. So why doesn't he say that he has destined us to be his sons and daughters? Well, there's a good reason for that. I, excuse me, uh, several months ago, when we were doing our series on what's a name, I found a, a quote from uh, Chelsea Stanley, uh, and she, she says this, she's actually talking about Galatians, but there's a lot of tie over uh, with Ephesians. It would be the, so replace Galatian with Ephesian. It's the exact same, it's Paul writing to a church. Um, so let me just read what she says. In ancient cultures, sons were named as legal heirs. In turn, husbands and fathers were expected to provide for the women of their household. Being a direct heir in society would not have been possible for the Galatian women or Ephesian women though they would have received a kind of indirect inheritance through marriage. Imagine the Galatian women coming to hear of this new status in God's kingdom as Paul speaks in these otherwise familiar terms, familiar, like family terms. Picture these women hearing Paul's letter read, a letter addressed to the entire Galatian and Ephesian church. They understood sonship and all that it entailed, entitled, entitled, entailed, so hearing that God had given both brothers and sisters together the status of sons would have blown them away. God stepped in and radically declared that men and women are one in Christ, equally privileged and exalted. Co-heirs together in his kingdom, both men and women received the full inheritance through their faith in him. In his loving kindness, our heavenly father allows us to share in the same inheritance today. While the notion of gender equality may not sound quite as foreign to our modern ears, the mystery of God's unmerited favor and grace should continue to fill us with tremendous awe. We, who were once slaves, are not only sons, but heirs of God. Sisters, this is extraordinary news. Moving on here with the next verb, it says that he freely bestowed his grace on us, verse Six. Literally, he graced us with his grace. He's just pouring out his grace, which ties into the next one, that he lavishes his grace upon us. Literally, he makes us abundant toward his grace. He's just pouring out his grace. And again, this is all wrapped up with who God is, that he declares our identity in Christ as he chooses, and he lavishes his grace and these spiritual gifts I'm not gonna get into this too much uh, because we're gonna be here in a couple of weeks, but Ephesians chapter two, there's so much grace and this ties into what we just looked at even from those thought quotes. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves, 
It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. I cannot say, look how good I am and how much God loves me. And look, I made the right decision because if it's fully up to me and my choosing God and only that, and God doesn't make the first move, well, then I am actually superior to people. If I actually put my faith in God and they don't, and they've been given the exact same resources, well, then I guess I am better than them. The apostle Paul says, uh, no, no, stop, stop that. It is not by works. No one can boast. It is purely a gift from God. Next aspect here, the next verb, he made known to us his will and purpose, which he set forth in Christ to unite all things. Talked a little bit more about this last week and this mystery that was revealed, that the mystery that was revealed and the will and the purpose for which he set forth in Christ was to unite all things. And again, this would have been very foreign uh, that in that culture, it was you had Israel's, Israelites and the Jews, and you had uh, now these Christians or all other Gentiles, not just Christians, but any Gentile. And say, no, this was always the purpose was to unite all things. It was always that, that way. It was never about just Israel or the descendants of Abraham, that Abraham was supposed to bless all nations. That's always been the point. And that will actually be made true at some point in the future. And the last thing that's kind of tied in with that point as well, the last verb that we see that goes back to God and Father is that he accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will. He accomplishes all things in according to the counsel of his will. When I read statements like that, I know that there was a time where I really struggled with phrases like that. He just does what he wants. All right, think about it this way. I would kind of step out of my, Christianity a little bit, try to think about it objectively and say, okay, there's this God, all powerful, all knowing, and he creates beings that can think and can reason and they're self-aware. And then he says, the only way that you, my creation are gonna be satisfied is if you praise me. That just sounds arrogant, right? Like why would you create something with self-awareness and freedom and joy and happiness and all these things and creativity and say, yeah, that's all good. And the things you're gonna create, they're really cool. And you're gonna have these families. You're gonna make little, little versions of yourself possibly. And, 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 you're, and they're gonna be terrible, but you're gonna love them. And you're gonna put your hope and your faith in them and all these different things. But that's not gonna satisfy you. You can, you can be the best football player in the world and win championships. I guess that's Tom Brady. You can win all these championships you want, but I'm telling you right now, Tom Brady isn't satisfied with that. He said it, that's a quote. I'm not satisfied with my trophies. Why would would God make us with this, what's been called the God-sized hole in our heart? And it sounds arrogant, but as again, as we step back and we think about it, if God is who he says he is, then it actually is the most loving thing he could do to say, Uh, the only thing that's gonna satisfy you is actually the greatest thing in all the universe. That's me. That if he said, oh, you can be fulfilled by something else when there's something better, that would be bad. But God says, no, I'm gonna do this according to my will. This is my choice. And I'm gonna accomplish this. What's really interesting as we look at all these verbs, especially specifically this passage, It is always God doing the action. There's not one verb related to us. We don't do anything. It's all God doing the work. We do nothing. We are simply the recipients of his grace. And 
we can either freely accept that grace or reject it. But he makes the first move and he is worthy of praise. And so just our gospel application this morning is God is worthy. He is worthy of our praise that the identity that we talked about that is found in Christ, that is found in God the Father is good, it's gracious, and he's worthy of all the things that we've been looking at in Ephesians. I want to uh, end by, um, before we get in, into communion, I want to uh, read, kind of reread the passage and, and Pastor Cora from, from downtown, um, he, uh, he read this last week and, uh, but I, I got a copy of it and um, wanted to read it. All, all he did was he, he went through this passage uh, of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, and he, and he reworded it, rewrote it in a way that is like first person as if God the Father is saying this to you. And so I, it makes it a little bit more personal that it is God doing the action and you're the recipient. So let me just read this and then we will enter into a time of, of communion to remember and praise God who is worthy of our praise. It says this, praise my name for I am worthy. I am blessed. I am the God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have blessed you in the heavenlies with every spiritual blessing in my son. I have chosen you in my son before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in my sight. In love, I have predestined you for adoption through Jesus Christ to be my heirs in accordance with my pleasure and will to the praise of my glory, which I have freely given you through Jesus, whom I love. In Christ, you have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of my grace that I have already lavished upon you. With all wisdom and understanding, I have made known to you the mystery of my will according to my good pleasure, which I purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, you were also chosen, having been predestined according to my plan, working out everything in conformity with the purpose of my will in order that you who were the first to put your hope in Christ might be to the praise of my glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are my possession to the praise of my glory. God is the only one worthy of praise over and over in scripture that if we see people who say, I want you to worship me, could be kings of past, could be religious leaders, could be anybody that's in a leadership position or in power saying, worship me, they always fall flat on their face. Even angels, as, as glorious and sinless as they are, when they come face to face with somebody, people always try to worship them. And the angel's always like, no, 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 don't even try to do that. I am not worthy of praise, only God is. And what we do know is that every time humanity comes face to face with their God, every single one of them falls flat on their face as a dead man because he is holy and he has declared us holy in his son and he is worthy of our praise. As we do our communion, as we do every week, 
I'm gonna partake of these elements, the, the wafer that represents his body that was broken for us, that God sends his son. And that's why he's worthy. He is not, it is not necessary for God to save anyone. And so the fact that he does save some and ensures that some are saved by choosing is worthy of praise. So remember, the broken body, the broken body of the way for the bread of Christ that represents his body that was broken for us in the new covenant. And in his blood, that's represented by the juice that we get to remember what it is that Christ did for us on the cross, that he forgave us of our sins as this passage mentions that we have been sealed with his spirit to enable us, to empower us, to continue living a life that is worthy of our calling. So let me pray and we will partake of these elements together. Feel free. All I would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to partake of these elements uh, with us and with the church uh, today. Um, and, uh, and if you're not, I'd love to have a conversation with you about that as well. And I don't understand how we do communion. Feel free to talk to me about that. Uh, but if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to partake of these elements and we will sing uh, two songs and, and feel free to take your time and and pray, repent, partake of those elements. And then as you uh, feel uh, led, feel free to stand and continue singing with us. Then we'll be dismissed. Let me pray. And then we will uh, continue with communion. Our heavenly father, I love that I can call you father. Um, as somebody who, who grew up with, without a dad for a long period, uh, that I get to just say, dad, I get to say father and I get to boldly do that to you. Not because of anything that I have done, but only because of the grace and mercy that you've already lavished upon me, that you have declared me holy and blameless in your son. And so as we partake of these elements this morning, I pray that now our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, everything would be devoted to you, uh, that we would repent of sin that we need to repent of, and that we would worship in song um, and praise a God who is worthy to be praised. That as we hopefully this morning got a better image and better glimpse of who you are, uh, as you would reveal yourself to us through your word, uh, that pray now that you would just receive that honor and that glory because you are worthy of praise. And it is in your son's name of Jesus that we pray all these things and pray that your spirit would continue to work in us as we are here now and as we go from this place. And it's in those names that we pray, amen.